Amen. Great time of worship tonight. Glory. Genesis 21 tonight. Genesis 21. Guess what happens tonight? This baby that we've been waiting so long for is finally born. I say, well, I wouldn't wait as long as Abraham and Sarah were waiting. But it's been a long time coming. So tonight, this chapter is about the son of promise, Isaac's birth. But in this great chapter, what I want us first to see, because I think this will be an encouragement to you, our God is a God that values every individual, okay? There's no one that God ever created and brought to this world that God doesn't love and God doesn't value, including you. And God is involved in the intimate details of all of our lives. He knows exactly what's going on, what we need, all of that. And what you see in this chapter is that the chapter moves, if you will, to the moving of God. That you see God at work and God moving here in all different people's lives at all different times and for all different things. And I just want to point this out. Now, we're, we're going to take this a little bit deeper, but I just wanted you to see this, how it moves us through the chapter. First verse, Genesis 21. The Lord visited Sarah. Then if you go up to verse 12, God says to Abraham. Then verse 17, God heard the boy's voice or cry, Ishmael. Then in verse 19, God enabled Hagar to see. Verse 20, God was with the boy. The end of verse 22, Abimelech acknowledges that God is with Abraham in all that he does. And so you see, in this chapter, God is continually intervening, continually ministering, continually working in people's lives. And he wants to do that with each of us, too. And he will do it. And we need to come even with a sense of expectation and anticipation that God is going to do it. And so I hope that's true tonight. For those of you that are watching, for those of you that are here tonight, that God will minister to you, even reminding you that he knows exactly where you're at and what your needs are and what your heart's desires are and what you're struggling with. And he knows all those things and he can meet us right where we are and minister to us because he knows. He knows where we're at. So notice this chapter also divides into sort of three sections. If you want to sort of outline it, the first seven verses talks about the birth of Isaac. Then from verse 8 through verse 21, we read about the expulsion of Ishmael. And then in verse 22 through the rest of the chapter, we're going to look at the covenant made between Abimelech and Abraham. So that's sort of the three divisions, if you will, within the chapter. But throughout all of this, God is moving. God is working. God is intervening. And the first thing that we see 
in verse 1 is the Lord took note of Sarah. The Lord visited Sarah. Have you ever waited for something for so long and then when you got it, it was a disappointment? (laughs) With God, that's never going to be the case. Everything that you and I are called to wait on that's connected with God will be more than worth it when he finally fulfills it and brings it about. And in the waiting... The prophet Isaiah tells us that those that are willing to wait on the Lord will renew their strength. So even in the waiting, we can lean into God and be strengthened in order to wait, knowing that every time we're called upon God to wait on the fulfillment of something, it's going to be worth it. And that was certainly true of the birth of Isaac. I want you to take note of the fact, though, that the Lord took note of Sarah. He pays attention to us. We're never off of his radar. Even though we may think at times God doesn't see me or doesn't see what I'm going through, he absolutely does. First of all, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. And he's omnipresent. He's everywhere as God. And there's nothing, there's no season, there's no time of our life that God takes his eye off of us. And the Lord took note of Sarah and in a sense comes to Sarah to bring about the birth of this promised son. And then I want you to notice three phrases in the first two verses that highlight the fact of just what we've been worshiping and praising and singing about, that God keeps his word, that God is faithful, that God's promises are reliable and dependable and trustworthy. Here's the three phrases. The Lord visited Sarah, then notice, just as he said he would. Boom, there's the first phrase. Second phrase did for Sarah what he had promised. And then the final phrase at the end of verse 2, at the appointed time that God had told him. Notice all three of those phrases all support the fact that God keeps his word, that God is faithful, that God's promises are reliable and dependable. And I want to point out something here. Something very interesting that a lot of times we pass over. And that is at the end of verse 2, we are told that God had told Abraham at what time the boy would be born. So, in Abraham's struggle, in Abraham trying to circumvent and, and hurry things along and you know, sleep with Hagar and have Ishmael and do all these other things, it wasn't like God didn't just give him a promise that a son would come supernaturally, but that he told him exactly what time the child would be born. And he still couldn't hold out, if you will. 
It shows how precise God was in trying to assure and affirm and encourage Abraham to hang in there. It's coming. I'll even tell you when he's coming. But you've got to wait because in the waiting, I'm working. And I'm even working in your life, Abraham. I'm strengthening you, and I'm building your faith, and I'm growing you, and I'm stretching you, and I need to do that because you're going to be the father of the faithful. You're the foundation upon which this nation is going to exist. It's going to always be traced back to you. Therefore, I need you to be who I created you to be and called you to be. And the only way I can do that is to sort of put you through my training, if you will. And part of that training for each of us is the waiting. Waiting for God to fulfill his purposes, but knowing in confidence that God's promises will come about, as it says in the very first verse, just as he said they would. Think about that tonight. What promises pop into your mind? Things that you know God has told you, things that God has said through his spirit, things he said to you through his word and through your time of worship, and it may not have come about yet, but you've got to believe it's going to come if God told you it's going to come just as he said it would. So, that's the first part. Then notice, beginning in verse 3, not only do we get reminded that God keeps his word and God is faithful, but that God is the bringer of joy into our life. Abraham named his son whom Sarah bore to him Isaac, which means laughter, laughter fueled by joy. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him just as God commanded him to do. Now Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh. You know what? God can make you laugh. Because God is the one who brings joy into our lives. Remember, it's also one of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. It is produced in us through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Joy is that inner sense of well-being that only comes from God. And how can I have that inner sense of well-being no matter what's going on circumstantially? Because I know that if I'm God's, I've got everything I need in him. That's how. Another cool thing You've never heard this before. It, it's been around for a while, so I apologize if many of you already know this, but I was led to repeat this tonight. One of the things I remember about joy that I was taught many, many years ago is that the secret to joy is Jesus, others, and then yourself. Joy. Joy. God made me laugh. God is not only faithful, not only keeps his word, but God is the bringer of joy into our life. True joy, greater than happiness. Joy that we can have in spite of our circumstances, you see, or our life situations. And we need to be people who are filled with joy and people who laugh. A merry heart the book of Proverbs said, is like good medicine. 
And there's too many Christians that are just sitting, soaking, and souring. God doesn't want us to sit, soak, and sour. He wants us to be filled with his joy. Verse 6, Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And that's true. Laughing not at what's happening, but in a sense just filled with just like, oh my golly. Did you hear about the couple that was 190 and they had a kid? God can do anything. She went on to say, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I've given birth to a son for him in his old age. I want to point out something to each of us that I think is important, especially tying it into our worship of God. We should not only rejoice when God brings about the fulfillment of his promises in our life. We should also rejoice in the promise itself and the God who made the promise. Why? Because if God made the promise, then we're what? We're sure that it's going to be fulfilled. See, that, that's in a sense worshiping or praising the God in faith. I don't have to wait, God, for you to bring it about. I'm, I'm rejoicing in the fact that you even said it, that you declared it, that you, you revealed it. And therefore, because I know you keep your word and that you are faithful, I can rejoice in all of your promises, even though they haven't come about yet, because I know that they will. And I know it because you are faithful, because you made the promise. I think about that, say, in terms of our eternal home. You and I can wake up every day and we can rejoice that that Jesus has gone and prepared a place in glory for each of us. And how can we rejoice at that? Because Jesus said it. And I know one day when I pass from this earth and you pass from this earth because you have faith in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you're going to be at that place too. And we can rejoice in that place even though we haven't seen it yet, we haven't been there yet, and yet we know it's as sure as anything because Jesus said I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come back and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Don't just limit your rejoicing and your praise and your worship to when God does something. That's good. We need to acknowledge when God has answered prayer and done things. That's an important part of our worship. But I think God even wants us to get to the place in our worship and praise and all of that with him where just the fact that he says it, we praise him for it, you see, because we're sure it's going to come to pass. No matter the impossibility, God will always keep his word, therefore we should always trust him. Crazy, isn't it? 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman having a child. Totally, physically, humanly impossible. But God can make all things possible. Our God is the God of the impossible. Don't limit what God can do. God has done so many things in my life that I look back and go, I never saw that. And why am I surprised when I keep seeing God do impossible things? 
because he's the God that that's who he is. He's a God of miracles. He's a God who wants his people to believe in miracles and in impossible things made possible. Do we believe in him tonight in that way? Well, then we come to verse 8. After the joy of the birth of Isaac, we have the story of the expulsion of Ishmael. And this is a painful part of the chapter. In fact, as you read this, maybe even later on, because I'm not going to take the time necessarily to go down through it all, I want you to feel the cost in some way of Abraham having to part with his son Ishmael, because he loved Ishmael. Remember, he's the one that sort of shoved Ishmael out there and said, God, why don't we just do this with Ishmael? And God's like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to do it supernaturally. We're not going to do it naturally. We're not going to do it of the flesh. We're going to do it supernaturally of the spirit. So notice at the birth of Isaac, tensions were now at a new high. It says the child grew and was weaned which meant then that Isaac would have been probably about two or maybe even not quite three years of age. And at this point, Isaac would have been probably early teens, maybe 12, 13, something like that. Abraham prepared a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah noticed the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, the son whom Hagar had born to Abraham, mocking and this is a strong word. And you can only imagine for years now, 12, 13, maybe 14 years, Ishmael's been the one. Be like, you know, in a family where only child for a while gets all the attention, and now with the birth of Isaac, those, that attention is being divided. And this young man also, he's heard, oh, this is the son of the promise. This is the one that came supernaturally, not naturally. And even a young man starting to think, hmm, I'm not the big cheese anymore. And like even today, then that sibling starts to turn in ugly ways towards their brother, sister, or whatever, because they don't like the fact that they're not getting all the attention. So she said to Abraham, banish the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not be an heir along with my son Isaac. Sarah is pointing out something that we learn later on that God was okay with, which is this separation that had to occur in this household between Ishmael and Isaac. Why? Because God is teaching us here, there has to be a distinction between the natural and the spiritual. There has to be a distinction between what is born of the flesh and what is born of the spirit. We're not going to take time to do this tonight, but if you go over to the book of Galatians chapter 4, Paul spends half the chapter on this subject and basically is saying giving us insight theologically into what's going on here by saying, look, what is of the flesh and what comes naturally cannot coexist with what God wants to bring about through the Spirit supernaturally. 
you can't mix the two. It can't be part flesh and part, it's got to be all God. And God needed to get Abraham to the point where he would stop looking at all to Ishmael as being the one through which God would fulfill his promise. He had to get to a place, as we talked about before our worship, where he totally rested all of his hopes and dreams on God working through Isaac alone. Okay? which also was going to call more faith out of Abraham. Because as we're going to see now in subsequent chapters after this, it's not just that, oh, Isaac's born, everything's taken care of. No, you, you all know this as parents and grandparents. and just you, you know. So then you start thinking about, oh, wait a minute. God promised me that my descendants would be as vast as the, as the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky. Well, I have one son which means the only way that's going to come about is eventually that son's got to get married. Where's his wife coming from? Who's going to be his wife? And then after that, what about their children? And then they're, Because it all has to start and work through Isaac. And God is trying to get Abraham to see you can't sort of, in a sense, throw half of your support into Ishmael to get this thing worked out and half of your support into Isaac. I got to have your eyes all alone on Isaac. He alone is who I'm going to work through because I can't work through Ishmael. I'm going to take care of Ishmael. I'm going to make him a great nation. I'm going to watch over him, Abraham. In fact, we're going to see that, how God comes to encourage Abraham. But God is getting Abraham to see. You can't look to Ishmael in any way to bring about the fulfillment of what I promised. It's coming through Isaac and only through Isaac. And God wants to get all of us to that point. It can't be that somehow we're trying to uh, make ourselves feel better and bring ourselves, you know, comfort and all of that by, by trying to lean on God halfway and, and do half things spiritual and then the other half of the flesh. It, it's got to be, no, I've got to cut the ties with trying to, to rely on the flesh and on, on the natural man, and, and I've got to rely totally on the spirit and on what God can do supernaturally. It can't be half and half or a quarter and three, it, it can't. It's got to be all in with God and what God can bring about. And that's how God wants us to live our lives, not looking to the flesh at all, to bring about anything spiritual or eternal, but looking to the Spirit totally to bring it all about. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. That's what was going on here. God himself, though, notice in verse 12, understands. Because it says, Sarah's demand in verse 11 obviously displeased Abraham greatly because Ishmael was his son and he loved this young man. Get it, totally get it. And God understood that. God understood the pain that would come from this parting. But God says, it's my will because I can't have half flesh, half spirit existing together. It's got to be all on Isaac which reminds me that as you and I move along in our life with God, there's going to be times where God asks us 
to separate ourselves from certain things or certain people because they're hindering our movement forward. And that's what Abraham had to do. He had to say goodbye to Ishmael in order to totally pursue God through what God was going to do through Isaac. And God understands. Sometimes the things that he asks of us are painful and hard and difficult. So notice what God does. Again, God's in the details. He comes to Abraham to encourage him at this point because he knows Abraham needs encouragement. This is something hard that he's asking Abraham to do. Abraham's faith must totally rest in God working through Isaac, and God would fulfill his promises to Abraham, but it would be through Isaac alone. So he tells Abraham, do not be upset about the boy or your slave wife. Do all that Sarah is telling you, because through Isaac, your descendants will be counted. But, he says, I will also make the son of the slave wife into a great nation, for he's your descendant too. I'll take care of Ishmael and watch out for him. I will bless him temporally. I will bless him in an earthly, worldly way, but I'm only blessing Isaac spiritually because he came through the spirit. Ishmael came through the flesh. So notice, I, I love Abraham's immediate obedience, and you see this much throughout the life of Abraham. He doesn't procrastinate. He doesn't put it off as hard as it is. Notice what he does in verse 14. Early in the morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He put on them on her shoulders, gave her the child, sent her away. So she went wandering aimlessly through the wilderness of Beersheba. And when the water in the skin was gone, she shoved the child under one of the shrubs. She went and sat down by herself across from him at a quite a distance, about a bow shot away, for she thought, I refuse to watch the child die. So she sat across from him and wept uncontrollably. She thought, this is it. Both of us are going to die out here in the wilderness, right? I want to point out something. Abraham may not have provided Hagar and Ishmael with enough resources to meet their need, but God always provides. God always provides. My God will supply your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. What you and I do not have the resources to be able to provide to others, God will always fill in the gaps or meet the need. And sometimes he uses his people to do that, but it's God working who will meet that need. Abraham could only do so much. And you and I many times, whether we're parents or grandparents or just friends or whatever, there's only so much that we can do to help another person. And we've got to trust that, the, that what we can't do, God can do the rest. You see. Because we can't be there all the time. And we can't, you know, meet every need. But God can. And then I love this, verse 17. The tenderness of God. God heard the boy's cry. This was a young man that thought he and his mother were going to die out there in the middle of nowhere, right? And not only did God hear his cry, God hears our cries too. God hears our voice. He hears our cries of pain and, and distress and, and need. He hears it. 
And he will respond to it because he's a God of tender compassion. It says, the angel of God then calls to Hagar from heaven and asks her, what is the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid, for God has heard the boy's voice right where he is crying. I love that. Right where he is, God heard him. God hears you and I tonight right where we are. We don't have to be a certain thing, do a certain thing. No, God sees us right where we are. And he's ready to work, and he's ready to meet us, and he's ready to minister. He's ready to help. He's ready to be our refuge, to refresh, to bring rest. He says to Hagar, get up, help the boy, and hold him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And then I love verse 19. Here again we see the moving of God. Yes, God visited Sarah, took note of her. Then God came to Abraham when he needed encouragement. God heard the boy's voice when he was crying. And now notice verse 19. God enables Hagar to see, to see something that she couldn't see at that point. Maybe because she was so discouraged or distraught or depressed. Maybe because she was crying so hard she couldn't see the well. We don't know. Maybe it's just that God, it appeared once God enabled her to see it. And she would have never been able to see it apart from the enablement of God. And that's certainly true too. Sometimes God enables us to see when we look to him for things that are right there, but we can't see it. Other times God enables us to see things supernaturally that we could never see apart from it. Either way, just like with Hagar... God will enable you to see things that you can't see when you look to him. And that's exactly what he was doing here with Hagar. She went over, she filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And then verse 20, here again, look at God. God was with the boy as he grew. He lived in the wilderness and became an archer. God did for Ishmael what he promised Abraham he would do. I'll take care of the boy. I know this is hard, but your God will fulfill my promise to you. I told you that I would not only watch over Isaac, the son of promise, but I will watch over Ishmael too. I want to give you a statement that I want you to remember as an encouragement. God's provision always supports his promise. God's provision always supports his promise. Whatever God promises, he'll provide. He'll provide. He lived in the wilderness, verse 21, of Paran. His mother found a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So the expulsion of Ishmael, though it starts out in a lot of pain and tension and all that, it sort of ends on a pretty good note. And then we come to the covenant between Abimelech and Abraham in the last part of the chapter. Abimelech noticed this pagan king recognized the blessing of the Lord on Abraham. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Can I tell you, that struck me. That was like a, that was like a lightning bolt to me. Why? Because I thought to myself, that's the way God wants all of us to live our lives. He, he wants us to live in such a way that there's evidence to others that they can see that God is with us. 
So the question I must ask all of us is, is there evidence in our lives to others that God is with us, that his fingerprints are on us, that he's blessing us, that he's using us, that he's working through us? God wants it to be that way so that even those that do not believe in him can see there's something different about that God. Because then God uses the blessing that he's bringing on our lives, like he did Abraham, to draw other people to him. They get inquisitive. They get curious about what's going on here with you. There's something different about you. There's something distinct about you. There's something that has God, the smell of God, the, the stench of God on you. There, there's something that reminds me about God about you. I'm drawn to you in some way. That was Abimelech and Abraham. So with that, Abimelech wants to enter into a formal covenant with this man, Abraham. In a sense, Abimelech is asking that Abraham would be his friend. That's really what this is all about. You're the friend of God, Abraham. I want to be your friend. I want us to enter into a, a friendship where we look out for each other and we have each other's backs and all of that. Can we do that, Abraham? So swear to me right here in God's name, verse 23, that you will not deceive me, my children or my descendants, because we know that Abimelech already had Abraham deceive him, right, about his half-sister, right? Show me in the land where you are staying the same loyalty that I have shown you. This is an interesting word that Abimelech uses here. It's the Old Testament word for kindness or loving kindness. Many times it's interpreted that way or translated that way in the Old Testament Bible. It's the Hebrew word chesed, which speaks of God's covenant loyalty. Basically, Abimelech is saying, I see that you and your God have entered into this partnership. I want that too in my life. I want to be partners with you as you partner with God. And again, he doesn't understand all the dynamics here, but God is drawing him closer to him through Abraham. God wants to do that with us. He wants to reach out through our lives and draw other people into him. Well, I'm not going to take the time tonight. We're running out of time, but basically they make a covenant. They cut a covenant with one another. And they make it at this place called, verse 31, Beersheba. The word beer means well in Hebrew, and the name Sheba means either seven or oath. So it's the idea, because there's all these sevens there, right? Seven lambs, seven this, seven that. So it's the well of sevens or the well where this oath or covenant was cut or made. And the two of them swore an oath there. So they made a treaty. Verse 32, at Beersheba, then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, returned to the land of the Philistines. And the last thing I want to point out here in this chapter, this great chapter that reminds us about how great our God is, that he's in every detail of every one of our lives, that he intervenes, that he comes to us right where we need him to be and meets us right where we are. What's the last thing Abraham does? He worships. After all that God has done, what should our response be? Worship. To be able to live with this God and serve him and follow him, highest honor and privilege any of us could ever have. So it says, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree. Why a tamarisk tree? Because it's a very long-living tree. 
It lasts a long time, which correlates with this phrase or description that Abraham uses in verse 33. It's the very first time this phrase is used to describe God this way in the Bible, the eternal God. Because everything God does, he does for eternity or with eternity in mind. Same thing is true in our lives. He's not going to just do something that's short. He wants to do something that's long-lasting. And Abraham was beginning to understand that, that Abraham was just this one link in this long chain, and he was going to be part of a story that God was writing that was much bigger than himself, way more than he can wrap his arms all around. He's just the start of it all. But then it's going to be passed on to Isaac and then to Jacob, and then on and on and on it goes down through history, even to modern day where we are today. But I want to end with this. Abraham, there he worshipped the Lord. Notice where in verse 34? In the land of the Philistines. Why is that important? Well, first of all, it reminds us that Abraham had developed a lifestyle of worship. We've seen that throughout our study of Genesis. Everywhere that Abraham went, even though he didn't settle there for long, he always built an altar and he always made sure he made worship a priority. He's doing the same thing here. God wants us to make worship not something that we just do on Sundays and Wednesdays when we come to the house of the Lord, but God wants us to make worship a lifestyle something that we do every day and throughout the day and at any time while we're doing anything. I've even shared with you before, and not that this is just our worship, but I've, the, the songs that we do on Wednesday, I, I wake up singing on Thursday morning. And I sing those songs until Sunday, and then the songs that Nicole has chosen on Sunday, I start singing those songs on Monday. And it's just, that's part of my worship. But, but God wants all of us to have that lifestyle of praise and, and worship of him, whether it's singing or whatever it is, just exalting him and acknowledging him and putting him in his rightful place. But what I also want to point out is the Bible makes this very important point. This was in the land of the Philistines. This was, this was smack dab in the middle of enemy territory. And it's a reminder sometimes... We need courage to be worshipers. We, we can't be weak and be ashamed of our God. We have to be willing to worship him and build an altar to him and smack dab in the middle of enemy territory. Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of what? My enemies. My enemies. Right smack dab in the middle of the Philistines, Abraham was lifting up his praise to God. He didn't, he didn't care. He wanted them to know my God is worthy of praise no matter where I am. So that reminds us we can worship God no matter what land we're in, no matter where we're at or anything. God can be praised and worshiped anywhere. If Abraham can worship God in the land of the Philistines, you and I can worship God anywhere, anytime, any place. Because it's a lifestyle of worship. And when you think about what kind of God is revealed in Genesis 21, how can we not worship a God like that? Father God, we thank you tonight for the wonderful time we've had in your house. 
And we pray, God, that it has brought refreshment and rest and refuge to all of us tonight, Lord, because many of us are weary and burdened, God. And we need your rest. And we need to come to you tonight for that rest. God, thank you for those who are watching from their homes tonight. We pray for a great blessing upon them. Thank you for those who came out tonight. Would you take us all home safely tonight? And Lord, may you already be building within us that anticipation and expectation, God, to come back on Sunday, to be in the house of the Lord again, to worship you, and to be in your word once again. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here. God bless. We'll see you next week.